And we're back with Bible Babble. Hi, John. Hey, Garrett. How's it going? Good, good. What do we do here in Bible Babble? Oh, you already know. We babble about the Bible. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about what? The Transfiguration Station. Very exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the, the the idea of the new exodus uh, that Jesus was to accomplish in Jerusalem. Um, and, and I was talking to John about kind of the, the nature of this new exodus and how it finds its... Uh, like, I, not necessarily fulfillment, but clarification um, and communion. And John is, well, well, tell us a little bit about why you know so much about communion. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it was something that, you know, obviously I, I grew up practicing in, in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church um, relatively frequently, I guess. I mean, not comparatively to... to Catholic traditions, but once a month, you know, monthly. Um, but then I came to TFC and began to discover new perspectives, new views on the nature of, of communion, what exactly is happening, and, and yeah, the manner in which yeah. Christ is present um, in communion and what communion accomplishes, you know. I guess I always grew up just kind of thinking that it was, um, you know, a symbol, a symbol of the the death of Christ, for proclaiming the death of Christ when we partake in communion. And I wasn't I wasn't exposed to, to other views that viewed as much more than a symbol. Mm-hmm. And so I began to explore that and and research and try to come to a conclusion on my own and explore the the biblical narrative of of communion. What does the Bible say? And and uh, yeah, what what conclusions can we draw from those passages? So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the opportunity of writing a paper on it. It was supposed to be like maybe five to seven pages, and I wrote like ten just because I was like, this is super interesting. Uh, I think that was in my Intro to Theology course that we took together, actually. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then I just wrote a, a theological paper on it for my pastoral methods class as we're learning to actually do services, uh, communion services, um, in preparation for, for pastoring. So... Um, yeah, it's been a, a topic of interest for a while, and uh, I've been fascinated by, by all the views, and I've enjoyed the, the process of research. Yeah, really, well, it's really a great time. It. Yeah. It's a blast. Yeah, so... Well, let's dive in. Um, we're going to start in Matthew 28, <laughs> verses 26. This is Mark. No, we're no, Mark. no, no, you Matthew 26. Dude, wait. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Okay, move. It says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So... Yeah, that's that's one of the main passages in the Synoptic Gospels. There's a passage in Luke, there's a passage in Mark, and most of them are saying pretty much the same thing. Um, this idea that the bread, the bread that they, they broke in this practice 
of the um, Lord's Supper or a redefining of, of the Lord's Supper in a sense. Uh, Jesus said, this is my body. Redefining. And yeah. Yeah, so... Of the Lord's Supper? Yeah, so the Lord's Supper was was practiced as a commemoration of the the Exodus. The, oh, yeah, Passover. Yeah, Passover. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, you know, they would they would celebrate um, the fact that they had been delivered from the the Egyptians and um, that that freedom from slavery in a sense. And there were different things that they partook of. One was unleavened bread, and mm-hmm. one was they had cups of wine. They had different spices and um, even this bitter kind of herb that they would they would drink to kind of commemorate the bitterness of the suffering that they yeah. endured. Um, and so it's this this practice of the Passover meal um, that Jesus redefines in in the New New Testament. Um, Very cool. Inaugurating a new covenant. So it's this it's this idea of Jesus saying that this is my body, and that is where some of the the controversy might come in. And there's other passages that um, more explicitly bring controversy, but. Just exactly what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, this is my body? And uh, what do you think about that, Garrett? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, in my study of Luke, you know, I, I, I haven't yet made it to Passover. Um, that's, certainly, that's certainly one of Luke's main thrusts for this idea of the new exodus in Jesus. Um, it's, it's taking an ancient tradition and redefining the symbolism of it. Um, the, the unleavened bread being kind of like a symbol. You know, usually they, they leaven the bread. And the leaven helps it rise. Yeah. Um, but in the case of the exodus, they didn't have time to leaven the bread because it takes time. It's a process. Um, and so they ate the bread unleavened. Because I had to flee. Yeah, they, they had to get I out of there. Get out. Um, and so Jesus is saying, well, actually, this unleavened bread is my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's broken. And it's and it's given for you. Um, so I guess what my question is, is when he says, this is my body, how literalistically should we take that? Or is, or do you see that as a symbol? I see it as a symbol. Mm-hmm. I see him taking one symbol and, and turning it into another in light of the new exodus, in light of this new salvation. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, like, he's saying this is my body. Obviously, they're not like, he's not like extending his arm and asking them to chew on his arm. No, he's talking about yeah. the bread. <laughs> um, but there, there are some other passages that, have led people to think that Jesus meant more um, or that the bread represents more than just just a representation, just yeah. a symbol. That it actually, can actually become the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the far side of the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. Transubstantiation, mm-hmm. uh, where, uh, you know, popular doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. um, that in taking the elements or as they would call it, the, uh, the, uh, sacraments, um, you are actually, the, the, the bread actually turns into Jesus's 
physical flesh. Mm-hmm. The blood or the, the wine actually turns into Jesus' physical blood. Um, so that's the far side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's the view kind of in between this justice symbol and transubstantiation? Yeah. So, because that's a popular view in evangelical Christianity. Yeah, definitely. So, <clears throat> just a symbol is called memorialism, mm-hmm. and this was mainly held by a reformer back around the 16th century. Uh, contemporary of Martin Luther, I believe, his name was Zwingli, and he was a Swiss reformer, Ooh. and he, um, yeah, he. I guess was the, like the biggest, yeah, their cheese is great. I guess he was the biggest proponent for the memorialism view that the body or the bread and the wine are mere symbols of Jesus's body and um, his blood as the, the sealing of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, not physically, not actually. And he also declared that, that Jesus was not necessarily specially or uniquely or particularly or focused, like his focus present wasn't, wasn't necessarily there as they partook the elements, his focus presence. It was kind of just as he is always present that there's not anything particularly special about his presence when we are partaking of the elements. But then you have these other views. You have the view called the Reformed view, which is mainly held by Presbyterians. And they would say that the partaking of the elements is the means by which we are brought into the presence of Jesus mm. in a special way. And more than just like the kind of omnipresence of God that is always is always in existence. Yeah, so Jesus becomes more present with you in taking the elements. In a sense, in a okay. sense. Yeah. It's a it's yeah. a little bit it's a little bit interesting uh, the theology behind that. But um yeah, they would say he is uniquely, or his special presence is, is there. They were brought into that as we protect oh, the elements. So that's the Reformed slash Presbyterian view. And if, then, yeah, go ahead. if I may ask you a question, um, how how do you think they would respond to the idea that, like, as far as oh, what's the word? Like our place in time, we are we are no more physically present. I, I think that the Holy Spirit is is as present with us now as he will be in the eschaton, whenever, you know, where the the kingdom of heaven is fully realized and, and mm. fulfilled. Mm. Like I, I don't think he's any closer now than he will be in eternity. Mm. Really? Yeah, I, because we we are indwelled. I mean, the the divine presence no longer dwells within the temple; he dwells within us. We are the new temple. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I. Hmm. That's interesting, because I know that in a sense there is a a partial veiling, and there is a partial in which we we don't see or experience everything to the the fullest extent that yeah, we yeah, sure, surely, yeah. Certainly. But as it pertains to the Holy Spirit, you would say it's like as it is now, it's going to be the same then. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't experience it the same way that we will. Um, but he's he's the same amount present now. Yeah. I, okay. I, 
That's, That's what you're I think so. I think yeah. So. so yeah, I mean, I do think that this idea of the special or focused or unique presence of God is something that is portrayed in Scripture, and it's it's hard to explain theologically because God is always present. Yeah. But when you think of like the the Holy of Holies, the place of the Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. and the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. and we talk about like like God's presence, you're entering into God's focused presence, like when the priest goes behind the the veil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. How do you kind of how do you kind of deal with that? Like, what do you say when somebody asks you, "Why is is God more <laughs> present here? Like, is He not present on the other side of the veil?" Like. You know what I'm saying? God's, I believe that God's presence is just as dangerous now as it was when the tabernacle was in place, when the temple was in place. I don't think God's presence has somehow been tamed or domesticated, Mm. uh, to use a colloquial. uh, But I think, I think it's we who have been changed rather than rather than being temporarily sanctified um, by by wearing the right clothing um, or by observing the right rites, mm-hmm. um, we are instead positionally sanctified fully. Like mm-hmm. we, right, we are in the process of being sanctified, but, positionally. but we, positionally we are holy right? Um, because of the the sacrifice that was made once for all. Yeah. Um, and so we can enter into that presence freely mm-hmm. at any time. And not only enter into it, but it's it's within us. Something within us. Yeah. We are yeah. the tabernacle. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, we are now the place of, of dwelling for the divine presence. Mm. The body of Christ. Yeah. Paul, Paul makes that connection multiple times in the New Testament. Mm. The body being the temple mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. And, and the, and the body of Christ as community. well as the individual. Yeah, yeah. On an individual level. It goes both ways. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how, how do you kind of deal with that, though? With, like, the, the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, like this, this special presence? Yeah. I would I would make the case that we're always in his presence and that mm-hmm. and that and that we're not any more or less in his presence in a given moment. Mm. Would you say that his presence is made more manifest at oh, particular certainly. times? Certainly. I yeah. would make that connection or case. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. Certainly I would. Mm. But I think but I think to to make a case for like a special presence um, has 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 its roots in the Old Testament and I don't think it's very New Testamenty, mm. if that makes sense. In terms of the Passover meal in the New Testament, is that what you're speaking of? Or just in general? Just in general. Okay. What is this thing? It's not staying. Stay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But all that to say, I mean, there, yeah, there are views on the Lord's Supper that say that 
just as we mentioned the reformed view that the partaking of the elements is the means by which we are brought into the the presence the unique special presence of of christ um so moving to the third view you talked about this kind of in between Mm -hmm. there's this view called consubstantiation yeah um which con the root meaning with um this view says that Jesus's special presence is actually with the elements. Mm-hmm. And so not necessarily to the point of transubstantiation where the elements actually transform, transubstantiation, um, transform into the, the body and, and the blood of Christ, but that he is in a special way with the elements. Mm-hmm. Um, this, it's described as like, He's under, he's around the elements, he's above the elements, like all these things. He's around the elements. And so something interesting about this view is that most people would, after, depending on the view, you would maybe bless the elements. And then these elements kind of um, contain, not contain, but have the special presence of Christ with them. And so they're actually disposed with in a very particular way. They're not just thrown in the trash because they're like, the presence of Christ is with these elements. Yeah. And right, so right. there's a more, this sense of sacredness that goes along with, with that view, um, a sacredness that the elements, that the elements themselves hold. Which is so interesting mm-hmm. because, because whether or not you hold a, a view such as that, we should recognize it as a sacred ritual. Yeah. Cer- yeah, certainly. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things I think a lot of people automatically say that the memorial view kind of denotes the necessary reverence, but I don't think that has to always be the case. Mm -hmm. I think it's unfortunate that that is the case sometimes, but I don't think that we should um, force this other kind of um, theology that might make it more easy to be reverent when, when we don't, uh, see that mm, particular yeah. scripture. I guess I'm kind of yeah. revealing my own views here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I okay. mean, yeah. But. So I can I can see the case for the memorial view, and I can see the case for a change substantiation. It's very you know just taking it very literal. This is my body, this is my blood. Yeah. What is the scriptural support for uh, what's it? Consubstantiation. Consubstantiation. Yeah. What's Where's the biblical support for that? Uh, I think it's it's certainly not explicit. So we should go to 1 Corinthians for this. Ah, uh, okay. Shoot. Oh, I'm sorry, man, bro. Yeah. I took out your bookmark. Is it's this a leaf? It's a leaf, yeah. I keep leaves in my Bible. Um, it's about that time we're going to start collecting new leaves and put more leaves in my Bible. Oh, because the leaves are falling in fall. Yes. Is that why? That's what they do. Okay. So, wait, I had the, the references right here. You know how, like, whenever you go to concerts and, um, like, the, the artist will have, like, a tuning joke. They're tuning their instrument and they have something funny to say. I, yeah. think, I think we need, like, a, a joke for when we're looking for a specific passage in the Bible. Oh, yeah? Like, should we come up with some? Yeah, we should. We should. Mm, maybe we should. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Mm. 
The bread that we break, some versions say sharing, a sharing the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Okay. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, the, I guess, that language can kind of give the idea that there is somehow a, and, and that actually sounds more like transubstantiation, now that I think about it. Because, like, I don't know, participating in the body and the blood of Christ, um, that that gives the vibes of, like, of transubstantiation to me. Mm. I don't know. That is, that honestly, now that I look at it, is, is uh, less... I don't know if that's a, what Paul is saying explicitly, no. though, because he says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You yeah. cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the, and the table of demons. I don't think he's... I think it's more of, like allegiance aligning yourself mm. is what it seems because you don't want to align yourself with the lord and then align yourself with demons yeah i think i don't know i don't know that's just my initial impression I, yeah i haven't studied the passage and i'm and i'm not even saying like i said i hold to a more memorial view i'm just yeah. saying like i i can understand where they're coming from yeah yeah is what i'm saying um so that's one passage and then in first corinthians chapter 11 Let's see. Okay. Starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. For if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Um, yeah, and then he says, gives more instructions about... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home first, you know. Um, so, yeah, here it's like I've heard the argument for the special presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, like using this passage saying like, okay, people are getting ill and dying. And so there must be something significant about the actual elements themselves. Mm-hmm. And... I can see that. 
I don't necessarily agree with that. Where I go with this is like, okay, if there's not an examination of self, if the elements are not being partaked in a manner of reverence, then I think that that could be the result and like because simply because of uh, reach of reverence. Yeah. Rather than Christ is somehow specially present in these elements. Yeah. I can see that argument, but I don't yeah. think that's necessary, necessarily yeah. true. I think so. I think so. And I think a, a point should be made that to view the elements as symbolic is no less significant. Yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a really important point. I agree with that. So, yeah, I mean, he's addressing disunity and irreverence mm -hmm. and a lack of mm -hmm. self-examination um, in partaking of the elements. I mean, yeah, I mean, they were seemed very flippant about it. I mean, you're literally eating to fill yourself and yeah. you, people are drunk from the, the wine. Like, yeah, I mean, that's I just mean, other people weird. aren't getting any. Yeah, people, yeah. Are, people are withholding. Yeah. And so, and then people cite this this verse that say, um, you know, if you drink and eat in an unworthy manner, you're guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so people cite that saying for a transubstantiation this view. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. But I would I would also just say that that's a symbol, like that yeah. even in Paul's mind he's yeah he's saying the body and the blood of the Lord, meaning like as a symbol. Mm -hmm. as representation of that yeah i mean because yeah. that's that's the language that that jesus used yeah. obviously in in matthew and luke and mark as well yeah and john six if you have my view but i don't think you have my view no i i actually talked to joshua lang about this um another another ginger on campus if you would consider me ginger i think you're yeah. the wrong way there oh right my bad. John is before Hebrews. Oh, okay, okay. I was going. Uh, um. So, the the Gospel of John does not have a communion passage, but it does have this bizarre teaching of Jesus, um, in which he teaches that people should feed on his flesh and drink his blood. Just this really bizarre imagery. Um, and I, I make the connection with communion, uh, but John John takes a different view on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Passage. Yeah. So I do want to read some of this uh, very quickly, but kind of in the context, this is in the context of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then giving the I am statement of I am the bread of life, mm -hmm. which this, this life he connects to eternal life, to spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Um is what, is what he means by life here. And he says, I am that bread. Yeah. And so this is the context that he, that he speaks, um, that yeah. he's speaking into. Jesus feeds 5,000 people and then people are following him around because they want more bread. Um, but, and this is Jesus' response. Yeah. They're just hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let me find the exact passage. Okay, starting in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven 
so that one may eat of mm -hmm. it and not die. Speaking of himself. Mm -hmm. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Mm -hmm. The Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Yikes. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Oh, it's so bizarre. It's yeah. so bizarre. Yeah. Feed on my flesh. Oh, man. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Yeah. And then he lost a huge portion of his followers. Yeah, most like, of his followers. This is a hard teaching. Yep. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the this seems seemingly on the surface, and in my perspective, seemingly this... Um, would represent a transubstantiationist view that Jesus is saying, or seems to be saying from the transubstantiationist perspective, that he is saying the bread is my blood. No, mm -hmm. no, no, no. The bread is my mm -hmm. body, and the the wine is is my blood. My like you're actually eating me when you partake of these elements. Um, but I, the reason I'm a bit like hesitant to accept that perspective or to accept that that is what Jesus is referring to here mm -hmm. is because of the connection to eternal life. And so like with him okay. saying, I am the bread of life speaking primary, primarily of eternal life, you know, um, I'm the, the bread from heaven that gives life so that you may eat it and not die. Meaning yes, you will physically die. Um, but you will live, you will live on forever, you know, with him. Um, okay. So, it, this this idea where he says like unless you eat eat of me and and drink me then like you have no life in yourselves you you only are abiding in me when you do these things you only have eternal life in you when you are eating of me and drinking of me um i i i interpret this as more like okay taking in jesus fully accepting him fully like i believe i interpret this as like accepting him by faith, trusting in Christ by faith, in a sense, symbolically, metaphorically, eating and drinking of Jesus by faith. And that is what gives us eternal life. Okay. And and another reason for that is because Jesus said these things for, like before he had instituted uh, the reinterpretation on, on Passover. This was before, like chronologically before the passages that we read in Matthew. Okay, chronologically it is before, but many scholars believe John to be the last gospel written, mm -hmm. which would mean Mark, Matthew, and Luke would already be well circulated. Um, and so, in my understanding of the passage, I personally do think it's talking about communion. Okay. Um, because I, okay, I, it might, it might have something to do with the way you and I think of the symbols of the body um, mm -hmm. and the blood. Um, in that, 
in the, in the same way that that baptism is a symbol of of our salvation, so I believe communion is. Um, and salvation doesn't come through communion, but the salvation comes through what communion symbolizes, right? The the breaking yeah. of Jesus's body, yeah. participating in his death, right? The the pouring out of Jesus's blood, uh, the blood of the new covenant. And so, I, I can't think of it as a coincidence that Jesus takes the, the bread and the blood here and then has communion in the other three Gospels of, you know, bread and blood. Mm-hmm. And both speaking very symbolically, I, I have, like, for me, the, the, the connection is so clear because the, the symbolism, I don't know, like, the, the symbols are the same. Why would he have symbols in one passage that mean one thing and the symbols in other passages that mean something else? Yeah, yeah. That's understandable. That's understandable. Well, like, as it as it pertains to, like, when the Gospel of John was written, I don't think that changes anything. Because no matter when it was written, they're still recording something that he said or when he said it. But I think it's providing a, an important commentary to communion. Before the institution of, yeah. So I, I think communion. Yeah, I think I think. Well, John, it's not that John was written for for Christians who are well established in their faith and who want to continue to grow in their faith. Mm-hmm. So there are different teachings in John, um, difficult teachings in John, and and so I don't think it far fetched that in John six, John is actually providing us a commentary on on how we should. Think about the symbols of communion. Wait, so you're saying John was written to mature believers? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Why does he say like I've written this so that you might believe? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, of course, I had more of an audience than just mature believers. I think certainly, yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's had an an influence beyond just the immediate audience. Um, yeah, I guess it could have multiple purposes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see your point. I see your point because, like, it does seem almost too, like, it lines up too well to not be <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. So I can I can see that. Um, it does seem almost like that can't be a coincidence. Um, I definitely see that perspective. And I would like to, to research that more. I mean, that's... Um, my perspective is something that I have gathered from other biblical commentators yeah, um, and just my own discernment. But, you know, I could I could be wrong and I, I would like to, to research other perspectives as well. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I second see, that, see the case laid out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, either way, um, the Lord's Supper, um, all of this is is to commemorate the death of the Lord Jesus, the, yeah. the act that that brought us salvation. Yeah. And, and it's a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. So yeah, this has been uh, episode four of Bible Babble, going over the Lord's Supper and all the different views. I think it was a fun one. Yeah. I had a good time. Yeah, me too. I learned. Yeah. Thank you, John. Absolutely. And we'll see you all next time. Peace.
Today's theme song was Rare Bird Alert by Steve Martin and the Steve Canyon Rangers. <laughs> 